Welcome to Unfuck Your Head. I am your host, Kat Jordan. It's time to take action, get out of bed, smell the new day, and unfuck your head. How I got to rehab is that I hope I'm understanding the story correctly as you described it in the video that that someone had said to you, and maybe this wasn't someone, maybe it was a figurative and not a literal, that, that if you don't make these changes, that you're going to lose everything in your life. And that that was a moment for you that really encouraged you to, to seek out treatment. I had, in not a very sincere way, started down the road of, of getting help, you know? Right. Because um, there was many people around me saying do you need help right and i'm like yeah 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 of course i do yeah i know it was like that and uh, i saw a counselor an addictions counselor but i lied to my teeth every time i sat down in front of this this wonderful person uh, who's there trying to help me and all i did was bullshit them and i would walk out of the, the session and i would go and drink Right, because the intent wasn't there. And I met uh, a few people along the way, and uh, some of them brought me into meetings, uh, like AA meetings. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'll go. I'm going to go to these things, right? But I would go, and I would have two bottles of wine in my, in my backpack. Okay? And I would sit in the meeting. I wouldn't you know, uh, care to comprehend anything that was going on. All that I was doing was thinking, as soon as I get out of here, I'm going to crack these bottles of wine. Right. And then I would go, well, this doesn't work. Right. Right. Um, that just wasn't, wasn't there. And uh, I had uh, a really good person here from Montreal who works still and has worked with hundreds of people and has helped hundreds of people. And, you know, I, I'm, I have full permission to, to use his full name, but his name is Bob Marier. Actually, you know, he's such a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> he was a royal pain <laughs> in my ass about getting me sober. Yep. And he, did, he didn't let up yep. um, on me. And finally, like, he just said, like, you, you are never going to get this. You need to go to rehab. And then I never spoke to him again for like a couple of weeks. I was like, how dare you? Yeah. You know? And um, so all of these seeds had been planted, you know, uh, and he planted a lot of really good seeds that he's good at. And uh, he's helped hundreds of people. But I'd kind of forgotten about it, I guess, in that sense. And uh, but I woke up. I, I went to bed on on uh, November 
16th, I went to bed drunk as usual and, and like passing out. I wouldn't call it falling asleep. I never, I didn't fall asleep naturally for uh, 20 years. I, I passed out every day. Right. Um, not intending to change a single thing the following day. I intended to get up and to carry on with my very sad existence that was getting sadder by the second at that point. Like this was, you know, the final stages of alcoholism before you become, uh, before I was to become, you know, again, unemployed. I think I had already lost my job at that point. And, uh, and becoming homeless and becoming increasingly ill from, from booze. I was afraid to shave because if I made a nick, a little shaving nick, <clears throat> it would bleed all day. So much alcohol in my system. Wow! Yeah, couldn't get it to stop. So I intended to carry on that following day in, in the same fashion, but for some reason I woke up and there was just this overwhelming need, I guess, to get help and to get sober. And uh, all of these other things sort of clicked into place. Where it's just like I need to get the treatment. I'm not getting this. I don't understand this. I don't know how to do this. I am petrified at the prospect of never having a drink again. I don't know how to not have a drink ever again. How am I going to do this? This is all the stuff that was flooding through my head on the morning of November seventeenth, and I immediately started making calls to people that had no business helping me. I treated these people extremely poorly. Um, and they were there to help me. Uh, I called uh, an ex-girlfriend who had me, you know, tossed out of the house like several times, you know, cops, the whole thing, and, and, and uh, traumatized this person and, and her kids, you know, traumatized them with my behavior. Called her and uh, she said, whatever you need. Uh-huh. Wow, wow. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's still overwhelms me and stuff. Um, a few other people that, you know, had no business helping me is the way I, I, I look at it. I mean, they should have told me to go bugger off, right? You know, uh, they didn't. And whatever I needed from that moment on, that sense of surrender, I completely surrendered to my reality. This is what me and our our director at uh, Chatsworth, he uses that, uh, Richard Hoffman, he uses that uh, that slogan quite often, like, surrender to your reality. Yeah. I, I did in that moment. And I, uh, it became the focus, you know, and it, and, it, and it snapped together very quickly. And I never drank from that day on. I haven't had a drink that day on, almost eight years ago. November 17th, it'll be eight years. So I don't know what happened. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> well, it sounds like all of those seeds finally started to blossom. Yeah, like, I mean, you're asking who, you know, I guess, or maybe I, I, I can attribute it to a few people. One pivotal person there that, you know, really stuck with me at my worst. Congratulations. And... That's, I mean, amazing. Again, I'm getting goosebumps and I'm feeling all the emotions because it's, it's such a powerful 
experience. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just like, it's, it's a really, it's a powerful experience. Um, and I'm grateful for all of those people in your life who were able to um, plant those seeds and were able to be there for you when you were ready. Um, yeah, 100%. yeah, it was not, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was not by chance that these people were around and in my life and right. it's, uh, you know, without them, uh, without that community of, of people, right. there's no, there's no in, in hell that I would be alive today. I would certainly be dead from one reason or another. I would, I'd be either just, my body would shut down or like I said, I would have, you know, had some horrific accident or who knows? I mean, I may have come to that point where I'm just going, I, I'm, I'm done, you know, and, and checked myself out. You know, I've never really thought that way. Uh, I never, I never had any, you know, suicidal thoughts or anything during this process. Um, you know, but there were some days where I, I'm sure if I had encountered enough days like that, that, that may have been, may have seemed like a real option. Right. At some point. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm really fortunate to uh, have these people in my life. Yeah, something that I had heard a couple years ago from um, someone in recovery, and he said that connection is the cure. And it stuck with me because not only was it simple, you know, air quotes, explanation of what we need as humans, but um, it's also a, a complicated one because it's not just your connection with your community and people around you, but it's also the connection with yourself and it's your connection with your higher self or your higher being. What, what for you in terms of like connections has been pivotal? Was it all of them? Were there certain ones that seemed to be uh, most powerful in your recovery? Um. Getting getting acquainted with myself in the beginning was was key. And uh, you know, when I went to treatment, there was a component on codependency. Right. Okay? Yeah. And of course, I got a perfect score on that one. Right. And it was part of my recommendations was to spend a year, the first year, uh, completely out of relationships any romantic relationship or any kind of um, sexual relationship, anything that might cloud up what I'm doing. Right. Um, part of my story is that I, I always played house from the time uh, I was 15 years old. I was living with my girlfriend in an apartment and I always had that, right? Uh, from one to the other to the other. To the other. You know, and as dysfunctional as it could be, be most of the time and right during all of those years until very recently I've, I've never really had a, a relationship that was functional there's always some tremendous dysfunction happening in it and that became clear that it could be a problem if i was to stay sober that you really need to to do this by yourself in that sense right right so i got really acquainted with myself and I did that first year, which I thought was gonna be impossible, but it, you know, and by about three quarters of the way through it, I was going, I exhaled finally, and I'm going, this is pretty good. I can go to 
a meeting at 10 o'clock tonight if I want. I don't need to explain to anybody. I can go for a bike ride afterwards and, and get home at midnight and just go to bed. And I don't need to explain to anybody where I've been. Right. What I've been By the end of the first year, this real tremendous sense of freedom. And there was no nobody to prove anything to. Yeah. Right. So there was there was nobody looking at me sideways, wondering what or where or, or anything about me. Right. Um, so I ended up doing another year <laughs> by myself. <laughs> you know, it's just it wasn't really planned. It's just that you know my first year uh, or getting into my second year of recovery, there were not people lining up saying, "Hey, man, you know, do you want to go up?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, um, I did another <laughs> year of it and I got very acquainted with myself. Right. And to the point where I realize now that I can pick and choose my relationships. Absolutely. And if they could end, then I'll be okay. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. No matter what happens, I will be okay with or without. And then, you know, I got into my community, my, my sober community, and I, I got, you know, not deep into that the way some people do, mm-hmm. but it is uh, 95% of my friends and acquaintances and the people that I talk to and associate with are all in recovery. And it's not that we just sit and read the big book of AA or that, you know, that we we're living our lives and we're... Right skiing and camping and we're going what we used to call to restaurants but we haven't done that for a while now yeah um but living our full sober lives and working and everything you know and that just by i don't know why or how but it, it just worked out that most of most of the people that i associate with now are in recovery i have a few other people that that are great fantastic friends of mine that are not in recovery but again they're not maniacs the way i was either right they, they can have a glass of wine right and, right and stop. <laughs> you know so uh the connections the initial connection i had to make with myself and that was the recommendations that i got coming out of treatment is to get a grip on who you are because if you have if you don't know at the mercy of those around you. So I took your advice. And here you are. I mean, I'm just kind of captivated by listening to you explain this because it's just so, um, I don't know. It's not often that I'm speechless. <laughs> I'll say that. But I am. I'm, I'm speechless. And, and I don't know if it's... Um, the way that you're describing it or, or your story and specifically or what or just because of where I'm at today, but it really is uplifting, you know, and I and I hope that so many other people are going to listen to this and leave with hope. I think for me, one of the things that I kind of struggle with is this idea that there are some of us in between. Right. So if we can to use the word normal people who can have a drink and be okay with it, use your term maniac who can't. <laughs> there are some of us that fall in the middle. 
And I feel yeah. like I somehow fall in the middle. And I've assessed that. I've kind of like tried to determine if like, is that a level of denial? Or am I just not at that level of existence yet with my use? And I, I want to capture that somewhere in between because there are so many people out there who I think, who say, well, I, I'm not an alcoholic or, or I'm not addicted but I still have these tendencies and these behaviors that are still unhealthy and I don't know where I fall and I don't know where I, I need to, to go. Is that something that you experience within your community or at treatment? Uh, look, when people come into Chatsworth Pavilion, most of the time because of you know how we operate, we don't look for people on, on the street that are in need of recovery. I mean, we're, we're, a, we're a small place, we're a private place. It's people are generally referred to us by therapists and, and counselors that, you know, after trying and failing and trying and failing or relapsing, you know, I, I, I don't like use, using the word fail, but, you know, it's part of the process right. where you you take a run at, at recovery and something that happened, you know, and you're back to using and uh, sometimes more and sometimes less, but it's still, you know, it embodies your life and it impacts life so you know they'll inevitably end up with us but even still we've had many people come through where they're going i don't think that i'm an alcoholic or i don't think that i'm an addict and going well wouldn't it be good to know wouldn't it be great to find out right you have the three weeks or i mean our program it's a it's a three-week program it's mm -hmm. closed model which means we start six clients it's all we it's all we take maximum six we start six people on the same day and they go through our curriculum and they all end on the same day so you've dedicated your three weeks of time to do this you have the time off you're here jump into it and see where you are because if you are not an alcoholic or drug addict we're not going to lie about we're not going to lie for you in either direction. Right. You know? So wouldn't it be great to know where you actually land in the scheme of things? Because clearly you're here, so there is some uncertainty. You know, same thing that anybody that ends up at an AA meeting, there's some uncertainty in their lives. They don't, they don't skip into these things when everything is going great. Right. It's fantastic. Having an awesome day. Life's good. Everything is in place. I think we'll go to an AA. <laughs> right. It doesn't work that way. Or I think I'll go to treatment for three weeks. Usually something going on, right? Our director, who is like, has this wonderful way with words, and uh, it's, it's a paraphrase, but he tells people that aren't sure he's going, you've spent so many years trying to convince everybody around you that you are not an alcoholic. Right? Yeah. And you've ended up here. Why don't you try to convince us that you are? Do everything that you possibly can to convince me and our staff that you are indeed an alcoholic. He says, because if you're not, you cannot fake being an alcoholic. We can fake not being one. We're very practiced at it. <laughs> right. Um, but try the other direction. Try to convince me that you are. And if you are not, you will have no chance in hell of convincing me that you're an alcoholic. And I will put it on paper to those around you to say, I don't think Joe here is an alcoholic. Why don't you leave him alone? 
and uh, we leave it at that. We're, we're, you know, we're not here to tell you anything of whether you are or are not. We're here to help you sort it out one way or the other. And if you come to the conclusion that you are, we're going to have a pile of tools for you to use to help that reality. And that's more our approach. I absolutely love that because you're really emphasizing this powerlessness power. The agency really falls on the individual and I'm not going to be the one to tell you, you're going to figure this out. It's not an external message. It's the internal awareness based on your experiences, based on your perception, based on what you think. And most of us have heard it. We've heard every last thing from every last person around us, myself included. How many times did I hear, you're an alcoholic, you know? You're this, you're that. I knew all of my character defects long before I ever had to you know, actually dress them, put them down on paper. It was right. rather easy because I had heard exactly <laughs> what I was from many people many times. Right? Right. I just didn't believe it. Now I actually believe it and I'm going, damn it. Yeah, that's what I am. Yeah. You know? yeah. Okay. Right? And I was helped along. Uh, to come to that realization that no, those people were not bullshitting you for the last 20 years of life. If they just, you know, they, they were telling you the truth. Right. So we tend to find that it's effective, you know, with uh, when you're doing it in your own words, you know. So through our, through our process, uh, most people come to that conclusion. And when it's, you know, the written assignments and everything that we have at Chatsworth, there's a lot. There's a lot of work that goes into it. It's an intelligent program, and you know it's demanding program. There's a lot that you must do in order to get the full benefit of our program, and you're supported well to do it. You know, and you're instructed very well on how to do it, and you're given the time to do it. But at the end of it, it's like, dude, this this is your words, right? These are your words describing you. Right. What do you think? What do you think about that? If you are or are not. Do you find that a lot of people who come to treatment there have that question? That is that a common thing that, that you see people still struggling with even when they're they're in treatment? Yeah. yeah. I think uh, yeah. Not not I mean, there's a percentage of it. I don't really, you know, I don't tally the percentages of it, but part of it is that last shot of denial, you know, last hope that maybe I can have a drink normally right. one day or that I can just snort a line of coke on my birthday and uh, I'll be okay. I think a lot of people come with that hope that this is what is going to happen when you go to treatment, right? Or, you know, when you go to a fellowship meeting that you're going to learn how to deal with your substances responsibly, right? Uh, rather than you know, just be abstinent from it and then you don't have to worry about dealing with it responsibly. That's what I tell people. Yeah, like what a what a relief that, you know, you don't have to actually try to yeah. navigate it. You just yeah. you absolutely don't have to manage this crap no. anymore. Yeah. No, you yeah. actually don't. Like, wow, okay, great. Do that, never put it into your system again. Ever again. Then you don't manage it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's, I, I believe there's a lot of people that they are hoping that that's going to be you know, part of the solution for them and, uh, you know, or that they'll get some 
some backing on that concept from us, which we don't, you know, we don't endorse that by any means. Um, we we never tell anybody that you can never drink again because that's ridiculous. You know, uh, you can do whatever you want the minute you walk out of this place, right? We're, Absolutely, what right. We're, doing, we're presenting you a system that you don't ever have to drink again if you don't want to. You don't ever have to use drugs again if you if you choose not to. And we will supply you with a system that allows you to live that way for the rest of your life if you choose. Right? So, yeah, that's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Like Chatsworth Pavilion has been around since in different formats, but with the same program since 1979, I believe. Our director, Richard Hoffman, he started, no, he started working at it in, in 1979. He's been so over 40 plus years. Wow. Yeah, continues. That's amazing. Yeah, and he ended up working at Pavilion, then he ended up taking it over, and then he ended up operating it. Became the director of the place. Uh, Chatsworth did a, a move to the Carolinas. They went down to the Carolinas for eight years at the request of the governor of North Carolina to do a pilot project with our program. Yeah. We found it, found it that unique, that different, that he uh, funded it and brought it down. And they studied it. With a lot of heroin addicts, which is, you know, is very difficult. Absolutely. Uh, so they operated there for eight years as part of a and part of a study, and then they came back to Canada. I, I don't know the exact dates of all of, all of these events, and they operated uh, in, in various different sizes. I mean, they had one that's north uh, of Montreal years ago. I think it was uh, close to twenty. Beds, we'll call it, you know, for lack of, you know, it sounds so clinical, cold when you say 20 beds, but yeah. 20 clients. Um, and then they moved from there because the logistics from the city to the country were really difficult, especially with weather and all of these things, uh, you know, uh, psychiatric services, food services, all of these things proved to be more challenging than, than were necessary to a building in old Montreal, which is like a beautiful part of the city. And it became, again, I think mostly from what Richard says, I mean, you, you could interview him. He's a good dude for your podcast, actually. <laughs> He's got a compelling story. Man. Yeah. Uh, that it became, again, logistically difficult to do. And it, I think, again, it was like upwards of 20 clients, right? So to have the closed group model and to do things the way that we like to do it, the larger groups are not really conducive to that. So right. where we are now is we moved into, uh, this is like 10 years ago, I guess. It's like a, a century home, like a large home in a fairly affluent part of Montreal. We blend right into the neighborhood. Not know that it's a treatment center. And it's, again, it's maximum capacity of six clients which works perfectly for groups, you know, for the group dynamic. Yeah. Um, or uh, the way that we start our program, because we, again, like I mentioned earlier, we start everybody on a certain day and we all end on a certain day. 
it's a curriculum. So there's no there's no revolving door. The mission discharge you know, is set. Right. And once you've started, there's there's no interruptions within this program. Right? So it, the group unity and everything works really well. How I ended up there is um, I was working again. You know, my f- first year and a half or so out of actually out of treatment. Um, I got asked to go to one of the graduation ceremonies. A friend of mine, by chance, had gone through this program. And he had burned a lot of bridges with his family and everything, and there was nobody really coming to his... There's, we have a little graduation ceremony at the end. Right. Uh, like a closure thing. I think a lot of places have that. Right, yeah. And so, uh, again, it was uh, Bob Marier who was sponsoring this guy and helped him to get into Chatsworth, uh, said, hey, Dave, why don't you come and support so-and-so? You know, uh, I'm not going to use his name uh, for the closing ceremony. And I said, yeah, sure. So I went, and while I was there, ended up talking to Richard. And he asked, uh, you know, like, what do I do? I said, chef. And he said, Really? He says, yeah. He says, well, our chef is thinking of going, uh, starting her family. She was young and uh, and she's going to go on a maternity leave, which in Canada is like a year. And if you work in the food industry, it's like a year and four months kind of thing. So it's, you get well, a lot of time off. It's yeah. Great. He said, would you be interested in that position? You know, he said, it's temporary. You know, he didn't make me any promises. And I'm going... Yeah, sure. Give me a call, right? You know, because restaurant jobs in this city, at the level that I was working at, were quite easy to find. Turns out that where I was working, I'm still very good friends with these people because they just by chance knew who chats with people was as well. And uh, so, I, a couple months went by, and finally, I get this call from Richard, and he's going, uh, "Okay, so." Shauna is gone, uh, getting ready to go on, on maternity leave. He's going, are you still in? And I'm going, yeah, of course. And he said, well, when can you start? I said, I want to give these guys three weeks notice before I come. Yeah. I said, yeah, sure, no problem. So I went, I think it was June 9th, and I never left. Shauna, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, she had her first child and she came back uh, to work as the sous chef she didn't want to work full-time anymore she didn't want that that full position and then yeah. she had uh, her second uh child and she did another maternity leave and so i mean i was solidified then as okay i'm, I'm the executive chef place now i feel like that helped shauna raise her kids which is great which i haven't <laughs> but you know, I'm glad to cover for her if she needs to go home or if they pick them up from school, whatever it is. You know, it's it's a great family uh, atmosphere that we have there. That's beautiful. So that that sort of sealed that part of the deal, right? And then um, you know, I'm um, because I'm in recovery, I was very at ease with with clients. No problem. You know, I've seen this before, and I would sit and I would eat with them, and uh, they hang out and interact with them uh, with, with a lot of ease and. They noticed that I have this kind of calming effect and that I have this very uh, easygoing approach to dealing with people that are extremely nervous and scared and uptight because they're in a brand new environment. And they're going, would you like to expand on that a bit? And I said, sure. So I ended up 
learning a few things, you know, through our, you know, how we do things and how our approach works and everything, and I was able to start lending a little bit of clinical support. And uh, years go by doing that. And, you know, just by being there, you end up doing more and you end up doing a little bit more and you end up doing a little bit more to the point where they're going, uh, would you be interested in making an official commitment to the place, which is very recently. And I, I said, well, yeah, sure. And we're going to, you know, we're going to offer you X, X amount of the place. As Amazing. part of, you know, your ongoing commitment to us, you know, right. we, we notice these things and we want you to actually, actually be part of it. And I said, absolutely. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I would. So from being uh, weeks away from homeless with 40 bucks to to being part owner of something very amazing for them to have that level of confidence and be and, and all of that, you know and that, that gesture is is overwhelmingly beautiful in that sense in a, in a short amount of time it means a lot it means the world to me so that's how i came into being where i am today and now i'm doing you know this fantastic thing with you yeah I, I wish my listeners could could see my face. I hope I, my voice is translating the, the happiness that I am exuding right now hearing this because it, it is such a beautiful success story. It's great because it doesn't, it, there is no end point, right? Like I can see this as just an ongoing experience. And it, you know, it's not just a job, right? Or, or even a career, right? Like this is your life. This is your, yeah. your family. This is your community. It, it sounds like this is your purpose, right? And that's such a beautiful thing because as you know, as, as humans, we need that. We need, yeah. we need that drive and that yeah. support in order to keep going. And, and I'm sure it just fuels back your own yeah. recovery. Yeah, it, really, it really does. But you know, the funny part of it too is when... I was in treatment, you know, there's so many people that get instantly inspired by their experience in treatment and they're going, when I'm done, I'm going to become a counselor and I'm going to, you know, start giving back, whatever, you know, they they want to get into it right away, get into the field and I'm I'm going, I'm never, ever going to have anything to do with this (laughs) I'm going back to a restaurant, I love what I do be a chef for the rest of my life and blah, 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 blah. What the hell did I know? proves, <laughs> right? Because, you know, my, and I was, you know, I wasn't just saying it to be smug or to be contrary. I mean, I, right. I really didn't think that it, it would be my path. And, <laughs> you know, eight years later, I'm going, what the hell happened? Because here I am in the middle of all of this stuff. And it is completely the center of, of my life. Yeah. You know, the way I thought it would, and it worked out way better than I could ever have imagined, right? You know, just by, by saying yes, by being open. I was going to say, by saying yes, being open to the opportunities uh, yeah. at hand, and also being yourself, right? It sounds like the people around you recognize intrinsically who you are and, and the value that you bring in just being yourself. And, and that is really a powerful message. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, there, 
they're smart people. They're, they're uh, you know, they know what they're doing, and I have a lot, tremendous amount of respect for them. So if they're bringing me on board with it, and I'm going, well, okay, I guess I'm doing okay. Yeah. You know, I'm doing okay with my life in that sense. Heavy duty piece of validation, not that you know, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, I, I joke with Richard about it, and, I, and, I, and I'll tell him that. I'm saying, thanks for supplying all of these things that I should be able to supply for myself. And he's like, what? I said, well, you know, validation and security and, you know, play sense of belonging and all of this stuff. I said, because really, like, if I'm in recovery, I should be able to supply all those things for myself, but you're doing a great job of doing it for me today. So thank you. <laughs> Shakes his head. Yeah, and, uh, like, yeah, of course, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, he's a wonderful, wonderful uh, person to be around. It helps me, uh, for sure, it helps me in, in my recovery. It has helped me uh, a lot in my recovery to be in that environment. You know, it's another level of accountability immediately by working with that. And uh, there's a sense of responsibility that comes with it. You know, there's a sense of purpose, like you said. Even uh, when I was working uh, solely as the chef in, in the place, you know, I shared my story right away with people that no man, I'm in recovery and uh, got X amount of time. And uh, yeah, you know, like good for you that you're doing this. It's doable. I started with uh, sharing that like very early on, and I didn't have to. It was, to, it was told to me that it's your choice, Dave. Like if you want to remain anonymous, right. you don't want any do with the, the clients or anything with their process and their recovery by all means you you can opt out for that and i said well no i said no, I, I don't mind having a conversation about recovery with anyone right and from there you know uh, transformed itself into what i do today yeah uh, just as you were saying that i'm reminded of the the planting of the seeds right so you being open and and being comfortable to be open with the people around you are planting seeds for them. I hope so. Yeah. And I I just, I can't thank you enough for that from human to human, but also for for coming on the podcast and and sharing this because it is so much my purpose on this glorious planet of ours to help other people realize that they're, they're really truly not alone and that we really are all humans just trying to survive. And that there's a multitude of resources out there available to them and um, that we can recover and that we do recover and that we can have happy, successful lives even after experiencing some pretty tremendous hardships. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's so many examples of, of recovery, you know, and things like what you're doing here with this podcast, and it really helps to bring it to a wider wider audience of people who might be wondering what, you know, sober curious. Yeah, sober, I like that, sober curious, where, you know, listening to a story might just be enough for you to start to reflect back on your own yeah. self and your own behaviors and, and what kind of life you're living and, and whether or not you want to make some changes. Exactly, and you can get it, you know, like with what you're doing and what others are doing, and, you know, by me participating in these things that uh, you don't need to, to walk into a church basement to an AA meeting in order to get this. Or you don't need to, you know, decide, man, I don't know if I can afford to go see a therapist about this or the guy. 
courage to walk in and both acquaint with the therapy. A hundred percent, yeah. Whether I whether I do or do not have a problem with this, you know, we can we can bring a level of knowledge and maybe some understanding to people in a very anonymous way, you know, because I can turn this on. Right. I can watch this thing twenty times if, I, if I'm not getting it, and I can find maybe on the fifteenth time I'll go. Ah, that's me. Right, and and I can get some help with this. Listen to this. You know, yeah. these guys are talking about a whole different thing here. You know, like from where they were to where they are. It's great what you do. Thank you. Thank you. I, I mean, that's the drive behind this podcast is really to make it accessible to everybody and anyone because I know not everyone has access and not everyone has the uh, ability to afford it. And if we can together, because I can't do this without you, help one person. You know, it's cliche yeah. to say, but it's totally true. If we can help one person, then that's, that's what matters. So um, I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for you, Dave, for you Um, reaching out to me and for sharing your story so authentically and for what you do every day Um, you know we didn't have we didn't have time to go into as I see it the beauty in creating food um, for people because I I appreciate that all in of itself as a as a craft and so um, we can we can do another segment sometime if you want absolutely very uh, you made it very easy very good at what you do. So Thank easy. you. Our, our next one will solely focus on your experience as a chef. Done deal. Sure. Awesome. Because I'm a foodie and I love talking about food. So I'm all for it. <laughs> Look at our, uh, our Facebook stuff because I post pictures of our food for our, our treatment center, which is weird, but I don't know. Why but not? Responses and I'm going to, maybe that'll be the thing <laughs> Somebody goes, okay, I'm going. That might be the the thing that I'm like, well, I could just go for a couple of weeks. The food looks great. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. But uh, all those things, I think, can make a difference, you know. And uh, being uh, treated well while you're there, I think, makes a difference. Having, like, the same level of care going into what we're feeding people as the as the same level of care of how we're, we're dealing with their very, you know, deep emotional stuff right you know yeah. it's, it's all of it sort of shows care and love and compassion and i think that the food can be a part of that there that's my blurb for the, the food that we have and we're gonna pin that um and we'll talk okay, about sure. that so thank you again it was an absolute pleasure and um right. i wish you the absolute best and i can't wait to talk to you again soon my pleasure thanks for having me on Thank you for listening. Join me on the next episode of Unfuck Your Head as we continue to build a community where understanding human health is at the forefront of real change. Don't forget to hit subscribe and follow me on Instagram at Unfuck Your Head Podcast. You can also check out upcoming podcasts, my blog, and ways to contribute to our mission by visiting our website at unfuckyourhead.org. Fuck your head